Well, amen. Um, we don't have to feel um, at all constrained, even if we um, get snowed out, because uh, when we leave here, God is everywhere. And it may be that the Lord would uh, want to meet with you at home today when you go back to your house. And uh, maybe that's why there's so much snow. And um, thankful that we can assemble in the Lord's name. And I want to I wanna read from Romans 5. And what I want to talk about uh, is the love of God. Being sustained by the love of God. Before we read, and, and really even before we begin, we begin, I want to ask a question. Um, Romans 5 is going to address this, but where do, you, where do you go in the hard times in your life? What do you turn to? Who do you turn to? What is it that you depend on and you rely on? What gets you through lonely times or painful times? Whatever it is, uh, that's your God. Because people, we, we aren't God. Um, and, and when we're broken, and when we go through hard things, it teaches us that we're not God. And instinctively, we turn to whatever uh, we see God to be. Whether it's an idol or whether it's the true God. A Christian is sustained by the love of God. Specifically, God's love. Uh... We've been talking a lot about love and how God is love. And I don't I think sometimes there's a hesitation um, to not to not talk about the love of God because it's so trivialized and it's such a sentimental thing with people that are religious but don't know the Lord. It's like you almost don't want to get near it because of the abuse that's done to it. And even, even if that's where you find yourself today, that you're not a true Christian, uh, it can be dangerous to, to think about the love of God. The, the message I would want to share as we read these verses is specifically for Christians. But for the unbeliever, uh, please listen, because uh, the love of God can save your soul if you understand it. Let's read Romans 5. Verses 1 through 11. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, Someone would dare even to die, but God demonstrates His own love toward us 
He's, he's saying us Christians. God demonstrates His own love toward us Christians in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Um, Let's pray. And I'd like to ask um, Andy and Trevor, if you both would pray for our time. All right. Well, I've picked the greatest thing that you could ever uh, pick to preach on. And that's the love of God. In the face of Jesus Christ, we see God's glory. And so again, my message is for the Christian today. I want, I want you to know how much God loves you. And I want you to be assured of it. And that's what Paul, that's what he's saying in Romans 5 too. He wants, he wants uh, the believers, as they read these words, to be reminded of God's love for them so that they'll be sustained. Um, the love of God is what, that's the only thing that can carry you through uh, in life, is His love. And so if we, can, if we can just even grab a hold of a small measure of, of His love, just even just touch the hem of His garment. Sometimes I think the reason why we flounder around so much is because we don't realize how much God loves us. And, and you need to know it. Romans 5, uh, we read verses 1 through 11. What is, what is all of this that he's talking about? He mentions several things. He says, we're justified and now we have peace and we can rejoice. And he says, we can even rejoice in our tribulations. That's an amazing thing. And that's where I get this, this thought of being sustained through tribulation. How is it that they're rejoicing in their tribulations? Well, because they have hope. Well, what's their hope? He says, uh, our hope, it does not disappoint. What, what are they saying? They're saying in the future, hope is like faith in the future. Okay, so he's saying, we know that even though we're going through tribulation now, in the future, it's going to be great. There is this, this hope of glory, of being with God And he says, I know that's not going to fail. I know I'm not going to be disappointed in that. And the reason why is because I can see the love of God has nothing to do with me. Okay, and this is when he, in verse 6, he brings in his reasoning. And he's got a really excellent reason to give to show that the love of God has nothing to do with you. See, if the love of God depended on you, this really wouldn't be that great of news today. Because we've all lived lives that are not worthy of the love of God. In fact, we've lived, he goes on to say, as helpless, ungodly sinners, as enemies of God. None of us deserve God's love at all. You're way worse than you think. Uh, If we were left to ourselves, we wouldn't have any hope about the love of God. As far as we know, He might just stop loving us in the future. But he says, no, our hope does not disappoint. And here's why. 
because the Holy Spirit has taught us something about God's love. How did he how did he teach us? Well, he showed us this. He showed us verse six, that while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. There's three things that are important to see the love of God. The first thing is the objects of his love. They're helpless. They're ungodly. And that shows you it's not you. The second thing is the timing. And this is what I want to really speak on the the whole time today. The timing of God's love. When He demonstrated it. When did Christ die? He died while we were yet in our sins. He died for sinners. In the very midst of their helplessness and kicking against God and refusing the gospel and spitting on His Son and cursing Him, He died for them. And that's how you can, again there, because of the timing, you can see this doesn't have anything to do with us. It's not because we believe God starts to love us. The main question I want you to think about in your mind is, when did God begin to love me? And so that's what we're going to talk about. Because you may not have the biblical view. In your mind, you might think, God began to love me once I repented and once I believed. And that's not true. That is not true. He says the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit because Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. So the timing is important. If you can see God's timing in sending His Son, it will ground ground you in the love of God because He loved you when you were lost. He loved you when you were in the midst of your sins. And that means nothing you do in this life is going to change it because you were so far gone in the past. And His love was reigning over you as the King of love. I mean, Christ on the cross, you can see His love. Even for His persecutors, He's saying, Father, forgive them. He has love for them then and there before they're even saved. And the third thing that teaches us about the love of God is the depth of God's love. That Christ would die. And what that means is, He goes on to say, If you want to know what does it mean that Christ died in my place, look in verse 9, near the end. He says, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. That's what it means that Christ died. Salvation in Christ means saved from the wrath of God through Him. That's the depth of the love of God. The objects of God's love are the ungodly and the helpless, His enemies. The timing of His love is while they're in the very act of their sin. And the depth of His love is that He would even sacrifice His own Son to suffer God's wrath in your place. That's deep. That's real. That's, what, that's how you know someone really loves you when they'll sacrifice for you. You know the love is real. But the only thing I, I want to focus on today Um, is the timing of God's love. And I think this is Paul's main point in Romans 5. Listen to all the timing language. He's going to talk about the love of God. And in verse 6 he says, For, how do we know God loves us? How do we know He's going to keep loving us in the future? Well, for, while we were still helpless. There's time. While we were still. And then he says, and at the right time. There's the time. And then if you uh, look a little farther, he says in verse 8, while we were yet sinners, 
And in verse 10, while we were enemies. It's like over and over he's bringing out, remember, when, when did God love you? When did He start loving you? When you were a sinner. When you were lost. And if you can hold on to that, that God's love for you was, was ruling over your life, even when you're lost, it will sustain you in the hardest moments that you go through in this life. Whether the problems are internal and your own fault because of your sin, or whether they're external, you know the love of God is not going to change one bit. It can't change. It won't change because it never had anything to do with me in the first place. God picked the, the most lowly, the most despised, and He said, I'm going to make them... This is what He did for Christians. I'm going to make them a, a demonstration of My love. Your life exists to be a demonstration of God. You say, why, why was I born in sin? Why am I such a sinner? Why am I such a mess? Because God wants to show His overpowering love in your life and how His love knows no bound. He can, he can love people that seem totally unlovely. His love is that great. And His love started for you in eternity past. Can you remember, look at verse 6, while we were still helpless, while we were ungodly, can you remember what that was like in your life? If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, uh, you'll know when you were lost. You'll not just know that you're saved. So you meet a lot of people that think they're saved, but they never know when they were lost. I don't, I don't, lost? What do you mean lost? Saved? Saved from what? And they don't understand. But if you're a Christian, you know when you were lost. You remember when you were helpless. You remember when you were totally deaf to the words of God. You were totally blind to the beauty of God. You were deceived. So you didn't have a clue. You were really helpless. You were a slave of sin. You loved all the wrong things and your heart was a million miles away from God. Do you remember? I mean, I can remember that for myself as clear as day. I remember when I was lost. And his point is, God loved you then. That's why He sent Christ for you. Um, when you became a Christian, He didn't start loving you. That was not when love started. Uh, because the source of, of love is in God, uh, it started before you were born. It started with God. In Ephesians 1, it says, we're in love He predestined us. That's pretty far back. Before the foundation of the world, God's love was upon your life. And every child of God needs to know that. We ought, we ought to hear that preached. God loved you even when you were lost and dead in your sin. If you were to ask people in the Bible, if you were to ask people, um, maybe in the Old Testament, let's say you ask uh, the nation of Israel, and so you take some of the Israelites, if they, if they know their God, when did God start loving you? What would they say? Well, let's look in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. God told them when He started loving them. What's the reason? Does it have anything to do with you? Deuteronomy 7, 7. The Lord, this is Israel, the Lord did not set His love on you 
nor choose you because you are more in number than any of the peoples, for you are the fewest of all the peoples. See, he picks the ungodly and the helpless. You are the fewest of all the peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, he brought you out. He, he says, uh, the Lord doesn't love you because of anything in you. He loves you because he loved you. And you say, well, wait, it also says, well, because of your forefathers. So maybe God loved Israel because he loved Abraham. Maybe that's if you have really godly uh, parents or grandparents, God will love you. No, uh, ask Abraham. Just go one step farther back. Abraham, when did God begin to love you? Was it that you, you, you began to follow the call of God and then he set his love upon you? Well, let's just look um, in Joshua 24. Verse 2. You guys remember uh, what Abraham's life was like in his early days? Maybe you've forgotten. Joshua 24, 2. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times, your fathers, that is Abraham, live beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Abraham and his parents, their whole family, they were idolaters. They were idol worshipers. Okay? Abraham was not saved um, because of what he did. It was because God's love was set upon him. And that's exactly what Deuteronomy 10.15 says. It says about Abraham that God set his affection on them. Think about it like this. It's like God has love and he's just going to place it on a person. He just gives it to them. And that's what the Bible says is true for every Christian. If you asked Abraham, when did God start loving you? He would say, I don't know, but I know this. Uh, he loved me even when, when me and my father uh, were worshiping idols. He loved me, and that's the only reason why I stand here. If you have a hope like that, uh, you can be carried all throughout life. If God is willing to love you then. Okay, if you ask Lot, Lot, when did God start loving you? You know, he would say, well, I don't know very much, but one thing I know, there was a time when uh, God wanted me to get out of the city of destruction and I wouldn't do it. I hesitated. And he grabbed, the angels grabbed my hand and they pulled me out. Why? Because it says, the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And, and, and literally, you can translate that as, God's compassion was over him. Think about it like it's over his head. God sets his love over your head. You can't reach it. You cannot change it. You can't affect it. And so if his love is on you, even if you resist him, he's pulling you out of the city of destruction. That's the love of God. He set it upon Lot. He set it upon his family. If you ask Moses, Moses, when did God start loving you? Um... He would say, well, there's this strange thing. When I was born as a baby, they tell me I was beautiful. <laughs> what does that mean? Does that mean that Moses was better looking than all the other babies? I don't think so. What it's saying is that somehow Moses was beautiful to God. It's like God's love was just set on Moses. And that's why he dealt with him the way that he did. He had set his affection on him. Uh, if you asked um, Jacob, Jacob, when did God start loving you? He would say, well, there was a, there was a prophecy 
about the favor of God even when I was in my mother's womb. He loved me and favored me even before I was born. I know that for a fact. Jacob could say, I mean, looking back now, as a Christian, he didn't know it at the time, but looking back, he could say, I know for a fact that God's love was on me when I was in my mother's womb. I know it. If you ask Jeremiah, Jeremiah, when did God start loving you? He, he can top Jacob because he says, God loved me before I was formed in the womb. See, God loves people. He sets his love on people that haven't even come into existence yet. God is so full of love that he overflows with love. His love for you is not motivated by who you are or what you've done or what you can do or what you can try to do for God. Even if your best attempts at serving God are a total flop, his love is way up in the sky. It's higher than the heavens. And it doesn't change. He started loving you long before you loved Him. What if you ask King David, when did God begin to love you? Let's turn to Psalm 103. You ever thought about these verses? These are some of the greatest verses in all the Psalms. Psalm 103, it talks, it tries to capture in human language the love of God, which you can't do, but it's still wonderful. Verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west so, so far... Has he removed our transgressions from us? Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He says his love for those who fear him, this is David, his love is great. His love is higher than the heavens. Will you say, yeah, but it says on those who fear him. So maybe until you start fearing God, his love is not upon you. And then once you do, then it's great and as high as the heavens. Well, look at verse 17. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. See, you're fearing God. That's not when the love of God began. If a person fears God, uh, that's just proof that the love of God has been set on their life. But it started from everlasting in eternity past. And it's going to continue to everlasting. This is Paul's whole point in Romans 5. The reason why hope does not disappoint is because Christ died for us, demonstrating the love of God when we were yet in our sin. The timing of Christ's death is really important. God could have had Christ die at the very end of history. Like after everybody repents and believes that's going to, then Christ dies. But he specifically chose not to do it that way. He chose to do it at the darkest moment to show everyone's in their sin, everyone's hating God, helpless, without any hope, and I love them. That's what he did when Christ died on the cross. That's how he teaches his children about his love for them. David knew a lot about the love of God. Uh, I think more than most people do. Um, isn't it interesting that in Psalm 51, when David is describing his fall into sin, 
and his remorse, the very first thing he says in Psalm 51 is, uh, Lord, deal with me according to your loving kindness. Because he knew how loving God was. He didn't come saying, Lord, I'm really sorry. He didn't come saying, Lord, I'll try and do better. The thing that he banked on and appealed to was the loving kindness of God. He knew that was greater than all of his sin. And, and um, little children, I want you to, to, to listen. If you're really young, because I want this to be crystal clear. Um, that even even a child can understand this, that God is very willing uh, and very quick to love bad people. God loves very bad people. Sometimes uh, we don't want to love bad people, but God does. He's different than we are. His love is very great. David knew about that. If you ask Peter in the New Testament, what would Peter say about the love of God, about the love of Christ? He saw love incarnate, remember? God is love. Uh, Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is love incarnate. I love that. And Peter saw him. Peter spent uh, a few years with love incarnate. What, What would Peter say about when the love of God began for him? You remember at the very beginning when Peter first got around Jesus, he said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus wouldn't do it. He wouldn't leave him. It's like uh, Peter, I think, over time began to realize, I don't, it's like, it's like even the times that I fail the worst, his love is so much greater. Like Peter knew that. I think, I think that's probably one of the reasons why Peter wept the most when he denied the Lord. You guys remember that in the Gospels it says, at the very moment when he denied the Lord, um, the final time it says, he looked and caught a glimpse of Jesus. You remember that? They were in, he was out by the fire, and Jesus was in the courtyard. Now I want you to think about, have you ever pictured that in your mind? What did Jesus' face look like? Did he have a scowl on his face? Do you think that's what he looked like? I don't think so at all. I don't think so at all. I mean, Christ, he told him before, he knew long beforehand. Peter, no, Peter, don't say that. You're going to deny me. I've got some bad news for you. You're not as holy as you think you are. You're not as strong as you think you are. And you're going to buckle under the pressure. Uh, But I'm praying for you, Peter. (laughs) And when he looked at him, when he denied the Lord, I think he saw love and compassion in the eyes of Christ. And I think it broke him. I think he walked out of there because he just denied the king of love. But he realized you cannot get away from the love of God. And uh, no, matter, no matter how many times Peter messed up, God's love was reigning over his life. If you asked uh, the Apostle John, the, the young disciple, if you asked him, I think maybe almost more than anybody, and I'm saving one person for last, almost more than anybody, John could tell you about the love of God and the love of Christ. Think about how he, what, what name does he use to talk about himself in the Gospels? You remember? He, call, he doesn't say John. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
He says, okay, you want to know something about me? God loves me. Jesus loved me. I don't even want to talk about myself. I want you to think about Jesus. This is the most amazing thing in my life is that Jesus loved me. Think about that. John says that over and over. Uh, he got a hold of this, that Jesus had set his love on him. And let's look at a few things he wrote in 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter four, verse sixteen. He says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. Think about what he says here. Think about specifically. Um, the tenses of the verbs that he's using. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. What he's saying is, when he's saying when at the very point of our coming to faith, what were we coming to believe? We were coming to believe the love of God for us. See, it's not saying... What he's, he's, John is not saying, when you place your faith in Christ, then God begins to love you. No, what he's saying is, part of the gospel is hearing that Christ and that God in Christ has love for you as a lost person. As a lost man, I came to believe the love that God had for me. That's what he's saying here. And if you look in verse 19, he makes it crystal clear. We love because he first loved us. John knew that. John knew long before I ever loved the Lord, He loved me. My love is, is nothing like His love. It's like you could say, in looking at all of this, like it says in the Song of Solomon, uh, that bride, she says, His banner over me is love. And it's a really big banner, and it stretches all the way into eternity past. Love, the love of God for His children. John knew about it. The last person I want to mention is the very writer of Romans 5, the Apostle Paul. How much do you think the Apostle Paul knew about the love of God? How much do you think he knew about when the love of God for him began? Think of where love found him. I mean, he was an enemy of the church, he was killing Christians. He was, he, was, uh, he was forcing people to blaspheme. Have you, okay, we've met some wicked people, but have you ever met any, anybody that forces other people to blaspheme God? That's what Paul was doing. That's what the Bible says. He uh, was very far away from God, but God came to him in his love, poured out his love upon his life, totally turned him around so that so that down the road uh, in his Christian life, when he was an old man, he could, write, um, he could write a letter to one of the churches and say that Christ loved me and gave himself for me. That's very personal. He didn't just say Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. Paul says Christ loved me and gave himself for me. He knew that because he knew when Christ died. 
He died when He was a sinner. He died when He was helpless. We should pray uh, with the psalmist to the Lord, show us Your loving kindness, O Lord. Because the fact is, most of the time we don't see it, really. And that's why our trials are so hard. That's why um, the things that we go through and the things that we suffer and the things that we sacrifice, it feels so painful. And why we can read the Bible and just think, man, how did they rejoice like they did? How were they willing to suffer joyfully? Like, like, like they, they went through that? Well, the fact is, um, if, you can, if you can fix your eyes on God long enough to, to comprehend even just a portion of His love for you. You're never going to know all of it. Not now, not in eternity. But even just a portion of it, uh, you'll be filled to overflowing. The love of God is meant to sustain us. That's, I think, how Paul was able to go through all the things that he went through. It didn't matter if the world hated him. God loved him. And his love was great. And it was never going to fade away or change. So the first application is this. And this comes straight out of Romans 5. He says in verse 3, we exult. Or I'm sorry. uh, He says in verse 2. At the end of verse 2. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. The first exhortation and application is this. That you exult in the hope of the glory of God. That you look forward to heaven with so much joy and rejoicing and exultation, because you know and are convinced of the love of God waiting for you there. Because it was there for you in the past, it's going to be there for you in the future. We need to rejoice in this. There ought to be times where we just get together to sing about the love of God. Uh, It would be a shame if we don't sing about the love of God. That's the first application. The love of God is unconditional, it's unmerited, and it's unchanging. And we just need to rejoice in that all day long. But the second application and exhortation is this. In verse 3, to exult in our tribulations. One thing we're joyful about and we can have joy in is when we think about all of the grace that awaits us in the future. All of the love for God in heaven, from God and to God. But one thing that's also true is we need to be exulting even now in this life in the midst of all of uh, the thorny trials and all of the rough roads that we're called to walk on. Because of the love of God, we ought to be overflowing uh, with joy in these situations and quick to sacrifice, quick to lay down our life. In this, Jesus is our supreme example. Jesus Christ, um, I think, paints the, the greatest picture of being sustained by the love of God. I think He had a closer relationship with God the Father than any man that's ever walked on the face of the earth. And if we can see something of His life, um, we can believe this to be true. Think about what. Think about the love of the love relationship between the Father and the Son. So that several times throughout the, throughout the life of Christ, I mean, Christ suffered. Um, we cannot even imagine what He suffered. 
several times throughout his life, God spoke audibly, out loud, this is my beloved son. I mean, he would tell it to to people that were standing around. God would say it so that Jesus could hear it and other people could hear it. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. I think that was part of what was sustaining Christ in going through his trials. His strength was not in worldly things. His hope was not in worldly um, comforts or some kind of back door or way out. He could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't take the back door. He had, he had to come down and take the hard road to save us. And he was sustained by the love of God. Because God was constantly reminding him, this is my beloved son. When was the last time you heard that from God? If it's been a while, maybe that's the reason why things have been so hard going. Can you hear, uh, can you hear the voice of Jesus? Can you hear the voice of God? Can you hear the Spirit speaking to the church, speaking to the bride? Of the love of God. Because Christ heard it. And he was sustained. And this love relationship between him and the Father was deep. Um, He says in John 14. I haven't heard very many people talk about this before. I was shocked when I read it the other day. He says in John 14. He says, so that the world may know that I love the Father. I'm going to do exactly what he said. I'm going to go to the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because I want the world to know I love the Father. What? It's like you think about, okay, let's, let's try and write down 20 reasons or 50 reasons why Jesus died. And so we're going to list them all out. Would you put in there one of your reasons, he died because he loved the Father. That's what he said. So that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as he commanded me. There's this love relationship where Jesus was willing to suffer anything because the love of God was flowing into his life. And his love was... Fully returned to God. Um, So he was even willing to go to the cross. Think about the cross specifically, because you're never going to have a trial like his cross. You have a cross, but your cross is not his cross. Think about his cross. Think about in the garden what he began to feel as the hour approached. He said his hour had come. He said he was grieved to the point of death. And in the garden, he begins um, to pray to God, asking God, is there any other way? God, this is too hard. God, this is too much. Is there any other way? If there's another way, let's do it that way. Because he's feeling the weight of what he's about to face. Do you honestly think that Jesus was afraid to die physically? No way. No way. What he was suffering, his cross, meant bearing the wrath of God. That's what we we saw in chapter 5, verse 9. Saved from the wrath of God through him. Christ bore the wrath of God. How do you go through something like that? How did Christ do it? What did he pray in the garden? What what did he pray that made him through it? I mean, it's like he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Okay, that's true, but that's just raw obedience. What got him through? I think there were two words. Abba, Father. I think that was everything to him. I think that's exactly why Jesus was able to stay strong in that temptation. Because he knew the love of God the Father was on him. He could pray to him as Abba Father. That's that's the only time you ever hear Christ say that in his earthly ministry. I asked someone one time, I said, because Paul says in Galatians that we cry Abba Father. And in Romans, we cry Abba Father from the heart. And I asked someone one time, um, 
you know, where did, where did Paul get that from? And they said, well, the life of Jesus. I said, when did Jesus say that? Well, on the cross. No, he didn't, he didn't say that on the cross. He said that in the garden. You only hear Jesus say it once. But he, um, I'm sure that was his heart all the time. But it comes out and manifests itself at the, deep, at the deepest, darkest moment. Right when he's about to go through the gate. You can look at the Garden of Gethsemane as like the gate of suffering. His whole life had been suffering, but up to this point, it was nothing like what he was about to go through. The hour's approaching, and he's, it's like he's standing at the threshold. Can I be sustained through this? Lord, can I make it? And I think the only thing that sustained him was that cry, Abba, Father, from the heart. Do you pray that way? Do you pray with full assurance of faith that all your sins are atoned for? Do you pray knowing that the love of God is set upon your life? Because if you don't, it's going to be hard to actually pray in a way that's helpful when trials come. Really, your prayers are just going to be like unbelief. It's just going to make it worse. It's just going to be like complaining when trials come. That's what your prayers are going to sound like. But if you know something about the love of God, uh, you can really pray in hard times. Not because um, you're trying to, you know, Lord, I'm sure everything's just going to get better and there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, No, because you're looking beyond this life into the next. You're looking at the love of God that was placed on you from eternity past and will continue into eternity future. That's where you have to have your gaze fixed. So that's the second application, is that we exult in our tribulations. We exult in the future hope of heaven, but we exult right now in the midst of our tribulations, in the midst of hard things. We're sustained by the love of God. And Jesus is our example. If you have a hard road to walk, uh, the writer of Hebrews, and I can say this probably about everyone in here, you have not resisted uh, to the point of shedding your blood in your following after God. That's what the Hebrews uh, author says. And he says, if you want a good example, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. Another way to say that is, Jesus wrote the book on faith. If you want to see what faith is like, look to Jesus. His whole life, he, he had full assurance of faith in God. Faith in what? Faith that God had set His love upon Him. That he was, he was walking out his life on earth under the love of God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So you have to look to Jesus Christ. I would say this last thing um, about tribulations. What if, what if you don't really have any tribulations? What if life is just kind of it's easy? Like there's nothing really that's that bad in your life. And um, it doesn't really take knowing that God loves you to sustain you through. I'll, I, I would say this is an important consideration because when, if we read Romans 5 and we read about tribulations, sometimes what we're tempted to do is to think about tribulations and we look at all of this pathetic stuff in our life that's not really a big deal at all. Like your cold or the sniffles, that does not count as tribulations. If you No, really, if you reduce that to Romans 5, you lose the glory of this passage. That is not, um, that is not worth um, comparing to the love of God ma- manifested in the cross. 
We're talking about deeper things. We're talking about spiritual battles and spiritual struggles that cause deep doubt and deep fears and deep anxieties. Um, If you don't feel like you have many tribulations, I would ask you this. um, How much have you been loving other people? How, How deep does your love go? Because in a sinful world, what, what real love is going to look like is sacrifice. Painful sacrifice. In a sinful world, deep love always means painful sacrifice. If you show sacrificial love for others, that's when you really need the love of God. You're not going to be able to love others as you should until you've got the love of God as the foundation of your life. Because when, that, when the, the point of crossing the line comes, where it goes from... Maybe, let's say, giving out of your abundance. Jesus said, that doesn't impress God. It's easy to do. Those Pharisees did it. They were lost. They gave in the temple out of their abundance. Jesus says, it doesn't matter. But when you come to the the line where now uh, this is going to be painful, or if you're trying to love someone, Jesus says, it's easy to love those who love you. Even lost people do that. It's easy. Easy to love those who love you. But if you're going to love your enemies... He says, that's hard. But that's what the Christians call to. You can't do that unless all of your needs are met in Christ. Unless you are so assured of the love of God for you that you can let go of every other worldly love. You can let go of every other worldly comfort. So uh, if we don't have many tribulations, many times I think that's because uh, we turn to the comforts of the world because we're not, we're not fixed on the love of God. The call of Christ is, is so radical. To love our enemies. I was reading um, just yesterday about Stephen being stoned as a martyr. And you remember Stephen, it was like he was so full of Christ that at the point that he was about to die, he prayed basically the exact same thing that Christ prayed when Christ was dying. You remember that? Christ said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Stephen prayed, he prayed, uh, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. He was loving his enemies. And the amazing thing is, that bore a lot of fruit. You know who was standing there when Stephen prayed that? Saul of Tarsus. And he prayed, Lord, don't hold this against him. And God said, okay, I'll take your prayer. I'm going to save that man. It's true. Loving your enemies, it's real, it's powerful. It's what Jesus did in his life. And I'm convinced the only only way that we're going to be able to do that is if we have our eyes fixed on God and his love for us. If we're sustained by the love of God, then we can give our love away freely, even if it's not uh, given in return. You say, uh, maybe you have an objection. Maybe you say, well, you're talking about love for your enemies, you're talking about love for the lost, and really uh, what I need to focus on right now is just love for other Christians. Especially if you've been listening to sermons on 1 Corinthians 13, and that's true. Love for Christians takes priority. That is true. But they don't, uh, they're not separated like that in the Bible. They just go side by side. As you walk throughout your life, you're going to run into both, and you need to be planning on both. Why do I say that? Because someone might say, Jesus said, um, he said, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. 
So the greatest kind of love is the love that you can show to other Christians, your friends. Now, I wonder if that's what Jesus meant when he said that. Is he saying no greater love, there's no greater love than this, than for you to love other Christians? What do you think he means when he says lay down your life for your friends? It is true, like, like right in that same section, he tells them to love one another. But think about what this meant for Jesus. He says, uh, love like I loved you. He says, you're my friends and I'm, I'm loving you. But you remember who Jesus' friends were? They were a bunch of lost guys that got saved because Jesus showed his love to them. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He says, uh, love, lay, down, lay down your life for your friends. And, and the Bible says, um, make sinners your friends like Jesus did. So we should have friends that are sinners so we can show the love of God to them that's been shown to us. We love because He first loved us. God loved us in this way and that while we were yet enemies, while we were, as Matthew says, un, uh, ungrateful, evil and ungrateful men, God was raining down His love upon us. And uh, that love... Should, should flow out of our lives to other people. That has to do with, I think, our exulting in tribulations. Sometimes that's where the hardest tribulations come from, is trying to show love to other people when it's sacrificial and painful. But uh, you can be sustained by the love of God. Well, amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray, show us your loving kindness, O Lord. We pray, um, Lord, that you would say to our soul, I am thy salvation. Lord, please speak to us. Open our eyes, Lord. Don't let us be ignorant of your love. Father, thank you so much for your love. We thank you for setting it upon us. We thank You that You've taken it out of our hands. You've placed it over our heads. We thank You that You're so faithful, that You never change. We thank You, Lord, that You're not like us in Your love. And we just pray, Lord, You would draw us closer to Yourself. We pray that You would sustain us. Please help us as a church. Please help us as a body. Lord, to be basking in Your love. Lord, I pray even for if there's anyone here today that's felt uh, the guilt of sin, that they would have it sprinkled clean by the blood of Christ and come to you in full assurance of faith. Father, I do want to pray too, as Trevor prayed for the lost here, that they would see um, the love of God. Please, Lord, please come near to us, draw near to us. We thank you for who you are. Thank you that you've made a covenant, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.